Welcome to season number two of Getting on the Green. I am thrilled to have everybody back with us. And for all you new folk, welcome to the family. So we have a lot of things that are going to go on this upcoming season. A incredible list of guests. Uh, we have financial professionals, real estate attorneys, brokers. We have motivational speakers. We have business improving individuals. Loads of people. You want to hear what they have to say, um, and we're going to get right into it. But before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, look back on the first season and uh, thank the people who kind of gave me the push to get this going. Uh, helped me get it moving, um, helped with the marketing and a couple of ideas. So I'd like to thank Michelle Goza, who no longer is with NAI Miami, but she is still doing social media and she was pivotal in my advancement of getting on the green, as well as Jackie Larkin, who is an incredible uh, marketing professional, uh, also with NAI Miami, and the other marketing professionals who are about to start working with me as we speak. So I want to just preemptively thank you all uh, and anybody else who has uh, helped with this podcast. I want to thank all of my guests who were incredible and gave us so much information that is so invaluable to us um, and that made this show possible. So I really, really want to thank all of my guests and all of my future guests as well. So a lot has happened in the three months since our last episode came out, and I'd love to talk about it. First and foremost, although I don't like to talk about myself much on this show, in real life, eh, maybe that's a little bit different, but on the show at least I like to focus on other people. Uh, first and foremost, my guests. Uh, but in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about myself. Um, so that'll be a little bit of a change for you all. So to go into what happened in the, over, over the last three months, obviously we've been dealing with COVID and uh, the run-up to the election. So that's been quite the interesting uh, time frame for us. But even more interesting for me, I had my first baby. So that has been quite a whirlwind. I've gotten almost no sleep, but it is well worth it. Um, one suggestion, though, don't go into having a family until you are ready. That is, you know, the number one piece of advice that I can give. Um, if you don't have the willingness and the ability to give the time and the effort that you need and that your baby deserves, don't do it. Um, I, for one, was ready and willing, and it is still quite the uh, slap in the face. Uh, those four o'clock feedings, uh, crying all the time and changing. But it is amazing. What a life change. I've loved it. My sister's gotten married. Um, and the thing that links to getting on the green the most is I purchased my home. So I mentioned it on a couple of the past podcasts about how I was working through these issues with financing, this and that. And I finally was able to close. And that will lead us into our topic of this episode. So let me tell you a little bit about my property that I closed on. It is a two unit townhome in Miami, Florida, and I moved into one of them and the other one was already rented. So we are going to be talking about house hacking. The topic of this episode is house hacking. So first and foremost, what is house hacking? To, to give basically a general idea of what house hacking is, is you buy a house, uh, an owner-occupied house that has extra units to rent, whether that's a totally separate house like the one I purchased, whether it's a strip um, motel style, 
whether it's an apartment with extra rooms. Um, you know, you can even do that. I've even heard of people house hacking by moving in with, for instance, elderly individuals and helping them with chores, this and that. And that's how they add their value in order to get their free rent. So basically the goal of house hacking is to minimize the amount of monthly rent or uh, money that's going towards the housing expense in return for housing. So in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about our top 10 benefits of house hacking, the top five drawbacks, and the five main issues to know before you go in. So we're going to get right into it. Our number one benefit of house hacking is it's, your, it's a great first step for a new investor. For instance, anybody who's young, uh, who doesn't know how to get into investing in real estate, this is a great first step. You can do a purchase, like I mentioned, as small as an apartment, uh, maybe a two bedroom apartment. Uh, I mean, in theory, you can do it as a one bedroom, but you know, I'm not gonna talk about how uh, you work those logistics in. But uh, you know, I, I would say as small as a two bedroom apartment uh, to as large as you know a, a massive um, condominium that you're living in. So house hacking is a great way to get into the real estate business. Um, and what it does for you is it allows you to have that nice first step for your future purchases. Lenders like to see experience. They will be more willing to trust that you are able to pay back a, um, a loan or a mortgage if you've done it in a previous property. So if you can show them, hey, I purchased this uh, income producing property with however many units or however many people um, renting space from it, it made this much percentage on top of um, my expenses. And here is my mortgage that you can clearly see I paid back or am in the process of paying back. This gives you legitimacy in the eyes of the mortgage companies. So I would highly, highly, highly suggest um, using this as a stepping stone into the real estate world, especially if you are kind of starting out alone or without an advisor, this or that. This is a great way to get into the real estate world. The number two benefit of house hacking is you can have somebody else pay for your ownership stake in a property. So right now I have my renter of the other property basically paying my mortgage. In theory um, and in best case scenario, it pays for the entire expense of living and I live for free, but unfortunately, and especially in Miami, that's very, very, very hard to find. And in the um, location and the housing style that I was looking for, that wasn't possible, but they're paying for my mortgage. So every single month that they make a payment, I grow my wealth. It's an incredible way to grow your wealth by having somebody else pay for it. So the number three benefit of house hacking is you can reduce or eliminate your monthly housing costs. So if you're currently paying rent, let's say you're paying $2,000 a month for rent and you can find a way to house hack and maybe pay $1,500 a month for rent for an equitable or even bigger space, you just save $500 a month. Plus you're growing your equity within the house. So this is an incredible way for you to eliminate or minimize your housing costs. Um, obviously the ultimate goal is to not only eliminate 
the housing costs, but to make money on top of that um, and live for free. Um, but that's not necessarily possible in every city and every area and every um, um, basically unit that you're looking for. If you're looking for a house, if you're looking for an apartment, you know, it, it depends. It's on, it's on a total case by case basis. But 99% of the time, the housing expense, whether it's rent or a mortgage, um, is the number one monthly expense for an individual. So if you're able to eliminate that or minimize that by house hacking, that is a great, great benefit. So the number four benefit of house hacking is gaining flexibility. So what does that mean? Let's say, for instance, my wife or my job changes and I need to move, whether that means move out of Miami, um, move to you know New York, for instance, California, or let's say even move out of the country. I have the ability to rent the unit that I'm currently not renting right now and that I'm living in. So this just gives me a lot of flexibility to not necessarily be uh, stuck in one place and have all my equity in one place and have the ability to for instance, rent it out and I would have, in my situation, I would have two units rented and I would be cash flowing on it. I would be making money if I was not living in this in theory and gaining the intrinsic value versus the financial value. So I could then take that value, that money that I was making every month and put it into a new property that I would need if I had to move. So if you do it right, and remember, doing it right in, involves a lot of different steps. So if you do it right, house hacking can really, really increase the flexibility that you have in your lifestyle. The number five benefit of house hacking is utilizing taxes and other incentives. So there are many, many, many different incentives that both the government and financial um, companies give when you are purchasing, whether you're a first time buyer um, or you are uh, doing a 1031 exchange or etc. Um, I would highly suggest that you talk to your lawyer or your tax agent or anybody along those lines who knows more and is a fiduciary to you. There are many things that you can take advantage of by house hacking um, when it comes to taxes and other benefits like that. The number one advantage in my eyes is the ability to take your depreciation losses on your personal income. That is huge. You can take those house depreciations and um, I actually had a guest, Cindy Blumenfeld, who actually spoke about cost segregation and how you can use these studies that they do and basically get a step-by-step idea of how you can depreciate your property um, and use that to your tax advantage. So I would highly suggest you research more into that. Talk to your tax expert. Talk to Call Cindy, honestly, and see how she can help you and um, you can gain that benefit that you see by depreciation. And there's also another thing that you can utilize tax-wise and that is deferral. You can use um, deferrals and defer when you pay those taxes if you can roll it over like the 1031 exchange i mentioned you can defer when those taxes are paid and in theory never pay them if you just keep deferring um and doing 1031 exchanges over and over again perpetually so the number six benefit to house hacking is 
low down payments. And I mentioned before incentives, uh, such as first time home buyers incentives. Talk to your mortgage um, broker or somebody else who can help you financially and find out what benefits you can have by living inside your actual investment. 99% of the time, the interest rate is going to be lower for a owner occupied property versus an investment property. Although technically a house hack is both owner occupied and an investment. Um, in this situation, 99% of the time you're going to get a better, um, conventional mortgage by living inside and owner occupying this property. Um, there's a lot of other benefits that you can find by doing this, especially if you create a great relationship with a mortgage broker who, um, you can not necessarily convince, but let them know that you have a plan on getting into real estate and this is something that you're going to be doing and you can create a lifelong relationship where it benefits the mortgage broker. You get benefited by having lower interest rates, etc. The number seven benefit of house hacking is you can learn your market much easier if you are actually involved. If you have skin in the game, you will learn your market much better. You're going to start to do your research when you didn't necessarily have any need to before. You're going to start to learn what the rental rates are and what they call for. You're going to start to understand what the economical um, waves are doing. In a down market, what are the rental rates doing? In an up market, what, what are they calling for? If, for instance, there's scarcity in the housing market, what are your rental rates doing? And so on and so forth. So you are going to inevitably learn much more about the market that you're living in and investing in by getting skin in the game. And house hacking is the easiest way to do that. Or what, let's say one of the easiest ways of doing that. You can definitely pay attention to the trends on the 10 year uh, bond averages that's in the 30 year. It's usually where the interest rates are kind of, you know, bouncing off of. So I would highly suggest you start tracking those track the stock market, the S&P, the Dow, um, but also look at your standard um, housing websites such as, you know, your Zillow's, your apartments.com and look at the rental rates in your area, not necessarily the numbers posted are going to be what they're actually getting, but you're going to get some sort of idea of what is being asked. Uh, so I would highly suggest that you start doing a little bit more research and you're going to inevitably learn the market that you are investing in better than you knew it before. The number eight benefit of getting into house hacking is you are going to start relationships that could last a lifetime. You're going to need your mortgage brokers. You're going to need your uh, um, your real estate attorneys, your, for instance, your Cindy um, Blumenfelds who are helping you with your depreciation. You have GCs that you're going to have to unfortunately uh, um, come in contact with because inevitably a house is going to need repairs and uh, changes, maybe upgrades. So gaining those relationships early on before you need them on your massive projects, once you get more skin in the game and deeper into your real estate career, getting those relationships and having um, some sort of working history with these professionals is a great thing to have because you can go back to them and say, hey, remember when you helped me with this? Um, I have this new uh, commercial property that I need 
you for, Mr. General Contractor or Mr. Financer or Mrs. Attorney, whoever it may be, if you create these relationships, it's going to help you down the line. So it is a great idea to start the relationships early. It is never, never, never too early. Talk to people and definitely shop. Shop your contacts. Just because you have a relationship with somebody doesn't mean that they're going to get the best deal for you. But at the same time, if you do have a relationship with them and they cannot get a good deal with or the best deal for you at this very moment, that doesn't mean that they can't get the best deal for you next time. So always shop, always um, try and get the best deal possible and create these relationships so that they can be used throughout your entire real estate career. The number nine benefit of house hacking is you will inevitably become handy. You're going to learn, at least when you're starting, how to do the handy jobs, how to, for instance, grout your tile, how to re-caulk ceiling and small things like that, how to replace a shower head, how to change a sink out, um, etc. You know, screwing in um, different things like fixtures and changing them, dealing with bulbs. So you're inevitably going to become handy. Although time is value. So the further you get in and the more your time is valuable, the more you're going to want to think of hiring people to do those things for you. Because in the end, time is the most valuable thing that we have. We never get time back and we can't necessarily pay for time. We can pay other people so that we can save our time or use our time in a different way, but we can never buy back time. So although you're going to become handy and you're going to want, just like I have, and I in theory still do, I want to do as much as I physically can, there comes a certain point where the time value or the monetary value of my time becomes higher than, for instance, hiring somebody else. If it's cleaning the house, Do I want to pay somebody $50 to clean the house or do I want to do it myself and spend three or four hours doing that? You know, I mean, in theory, I'm going to pay the person to do that because I'd rather have those three or four hours to potentially make phone calls on my brokerage side of my business and do other things like that, that in the end, most likely will be more valuable for me than those $50 or $100, whatever it may be, whatever that cost is for the work that's being done. But only you can decide what your value of your time is. And when you're first starting out, I highly, highly, highly suggest get your hands dirty. Learn what needs to be done. Learn what goes into changing that tile, changing that faucet, this and that. So you know in the future when a handyman comes and says, yeah, changing the faucet, that's going to cost you $400. You know, uh uh-uh, it doesn't cost $400. I can do that easily for, for instance a $40 faucet from Home Depot and, you know, three minutes of my time. So you learn what it takes to get those jobs done. And that is value. That brings value to your future of ownership, especially home ownership. The number 10 and final on our list, but not necessarily the final overall benefit of house hacking is the potential to improve the property. This is one of the number one aspects of real estate in general, but certainly in house hacking. You can buy into properties that aren't necessarily perfect. If you're willing to live in them and you are able to find tenants that are willing to live in them for now, at least so you can cash flow 
for now. You can improve those properties. You can change out that scummy tile. You can change out the carpet for laminate. You can, you know, redo the kitchen, redo the bathroom. And for instance, put in 5,000, 10,000 here and increase the actual property value by 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, who knows how much? Thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars just by being willing to live in it for now and have a tenant in it while you improve the property. So there's so many different strategies and areas to improve these properties. The value of the property in general based on the market might even improve and we call that appreciation. So that's a totally another story other than value add. Value add is one way to do it, but the appreciation of the market is another way to have additional value into your purchase. So you can, for instance, do nothing with the property, purchase it, and then a year later, for instance, it's worth more, solely based on what the market trends are doing. So that's the second value add or value gain, in theory, of your purchase for house hacking. The third one is an increase in rental income. If you improve these houses or these properties, you can call for more rent potentially up to a certain extent because the market's going to dictate how much and what the maximum basically will be. But if you have an undervalued rental rate based on the condition of the property and you improve those conditions, you can ask for more rent. When you ask for more rent, that basically increases your net operating income. When your net operating income goes up, as we all know, the value of your property goes up. That was the number 10 benefit of house hacking. And we are going to move on to the five main things to know about house hacking. The first thing we need to know in our five things we need to know when house hacking is understanding our expenses. There's a very simple method of doing that. Um, not everybody uses it. Uh, this is kind of just a quick way to do it so that you can understand what your expenses are going to be. Um, but that quick way is called the 50% rule. So what is the 50% rule? Um, basically, the 50% rule says that you take 50% of what the rents are on your property and those are your expenses. Those expenses don't account for mortgage though. So you need to understand that the mortgage is going to be an additional expense on that. But let's say, for instance, your, your property pulls in $1,500 for rent per unit and you're going to do the 50% rule. $750 needs to basically be budgeted for your expenses. So if you're exceeding that, this might not either A, be a good um, investment or B, you might need to increase your rental rates. But like I mentioned, your mortgage is not included in this 50% rule. So make sure that when you're doing these calculations, those mortgage expenses are added on so that you can see how much on top of that you're clearing. Because then you have uh, you know other expenses as well that we're gonna get to now. The number two thing to know is how to calculate your entire property's value. When you're calculating that, you must take into account vacancy factor. When you're renting anything, whether it's a commercial property or a residential property, you will have vacancy. Whether it's a single day 
or it's a year of vacancy, or even more in theory, you must take into account some sort of percentage for vacancy. Anytime I see these people who are putting up listings and these um, net operating income and rent rolls and these types of uh, charts for their properties, and they don't have a vacancy rate involved in it, I know that they are full of you know what. They either have no idea what they're doing or they're lying to you and trying to trick you into a better net operating income and cap rate than the property actually um, makes. So understand that their vacancy rate has to be put into your calculations. You also need to always put into your calculations um, CapEx, which is capital expense, which is basically future expenditures, big, big, big expenditures, such as new roof, new AC, um, you know, a, an upgrade to the kitchen, an upgrade to bathrooms, an addition, for instance. That's a value add. We spoke about that earlier on things that are uh, number 10, uh, number 10 on our list of benefits of house hacking, value add. You can add another addition onto your property, for instance, as long as zoning calls for it, and that is a value add. So that's kind of where CapEx comes into play. You always want to put a little bit of money. That's the owner's decision, and AKA your decision, on how much you want to allocate each month to that. But I beg you, please, 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 always allocate some of your uh, monthly expenses, even though I don't consider it an expense, but it is because you're not putting it straight into your profits. Um, allocate some of that to capital expenditures because it's going to be needed eventually. So why not budget for it now instead of being slapped in the face whenever you actually do need it? Another thing is repairs. So repairs is like capital expenditures, but it's smaller. So for instance, a paint job when a tenant leaves, um, getting a spill out of, you know, even if you are the one that does it, you're going to have to pay for it. You still own the property. You're going to need to repair it. If a window breaks, um, you can't, as an, as a, uh, owner, you, you can't necessarily take anything out of the security deposit. It's not just a blanket, you know, if this happens, I get to take it out. There are certain things that need to occur, for instance, in order to remove money from a security deposit. So you need to budget money for standard repairs. For instance, standard wear and tear, you're not allowed to take out of um, the security deposit. So make sure that you're budgeting some sort of amount. Again, it's a case-by-case -case basis, so I'm not just gonna tell you how much to budget for it, but it must be taken into account when you're running your numbers and deciding whether or not a property is a good investment or not. I can't, 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 can't tell you enough how much you need to be conservative with your numbers. Be conservative, conservative, conservative. This brings me into my next thing, insurance and taxes. You must budget for the insurance and taxes when you're dealing with this as well. The insurance on a property most likely isn't going to change much from one tenant or from one owner to the next, but it depends on the use. If you're going to change the use, for instance, maybe add on, like we spoke about, add on a unit or have multifamily versus a single family, the insurance might change. So what they put on their operating memorandum might be different than what you're actually going to face. So be very, very conservative with your numbers when budgeting in order to save yourself any heartache, heart attacks, anything along those lines, any surprises. Taxes as well. This frustrates me more than almost anything in the real estate business uh, since I got into brokerage is when I see 
these properties that were purchased 10 years ago and that are paying basically 10% of what they would be paying now in taxes. And they put that on their operating memorandum and they say, oh yeah, you're only going to have to pay $3,000 a month for taxes. No worries. So this works perfectly in our 5% cap rate, which already is probably too low of a cap rate for the property. Um, but they're including a tax rate that is much, 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 much lower than you are going to be facing because tax rates or the assessments on your property is basically only done on a, you know, whenever the appraiser feels like it or when a property is sold. So they can randomly do it and surprise, surprise, your property taxes or your property has been reassessed and uh, your property taxes have shot up unless you have a homestead and uh, save my homes. Um, but if you purchase a home, it's automatically reassessed based on your purchase price. So if the old owner purchased your property for $100,000 a hundred years ago, for instance, and they're paying on a tax basis of a $100,000 property, but then you just purchased it for a million dollars, your tax basis is going to be on the million dollars that you just purchased it on. So your taxes are going to be significantly more than what they're listing on the operating memorandum. So make sure you take into account those increases in taxes. A kind of, it's not foolproof, but a suggested way of kind of approximating the taxes is you take the sales number so whatever amount you purchase or are going to purchase the property for, you take 80% of that, so 80% of the purchase price, and then you're gonna take 2% of that 80%. So again, let's go through it with an actual example. You have your million dollar property, you take 80% of that million dollar property, and you're gonna get your $800,000, which is that 80% of 1 million. And then of that $800,000, you are going to take 2% of that. And that's a general, you know, gist of where your property taxes are going to be just about. Obviously, it depends on what municipality you're in. Um, and also what year it is, the tax rate, this and that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but you can get a general gist of what your taxes are going to be on your property based on 80% of the purchase price and then 2% of that 80%. So make sure that you are taking those into account. And again, I can't reiterate it enough. Always be conservative. So let's say in our million dollar property purchase, we have our $800,000, um, which is 80% of that million dollar purchase. And then the 2% of that 80% is $16,000. To be conservative, I would be adding no less than $2,000 to that. So I would be budgeting more or less for $18,000 on my taxes. If it's less, excellent. I saved some money. But if it's more, you know, you always want to have that ability to have some cushion in there. So always be conservative with your numbers. Try and think of anything that you can do to basically make your numbers worse than they actually are so you can only have a good surprise instead of those stinky bad surprises. So the number four thing to know when you are getting into a house hack is 
thinking about what future expenses you might have. Although you might not see it now, do you have a building, for instance, that was built in the 1940s that might need completely new plumbing? Do you have a roof that maybe was built seven years ago and the life of a standard roof is around 10 to 15 years? So you're looking at, you know, you might not need to do it now, but you're looking at in, you know, three to seven years having to replace a roof. That's where that CapEx comes in. That's why we do that extra little budgeting for CapEx so that we can afford to pay or at least have some money towards those future expenses. Are we going to need to redo our kitchen, bathroom, etc.? For instance, if we have a 1960s, 1980s um, style house, is that going to be rentable in the future? Is that going to be sellable in the future? Who's going to want that? Can we increase our value of our property by putting in just a little bit of capital expenditure in the future in order to gain that value on the back end of the sale? So try and think of anything that you might not necessarily have to do now, but can be an expense in the future. This will save you so much heartache and again, can only be a benefit on the back end. And the number one thing that I can suggest and the number one thing to know before getting into a house hack is choose the right tenant. This is true for commercial. This is true for residential, but especially for residential, choose the right tenant. There are so many things that can go wrong because of a tenant that you would have to evict. You would have to sue this or that, so many headaches, and you just don't want to have to deal with it. So although you might have to pay more to do those background checks, pay those companies to do a full vetting of your potential tenant now, before they get in, before they can hold on to your property and not pay rent for however long, and you're out of that income, make sure that you get the right tenant. In the end, it's always a risk. Because the only person you can truly control in life is yourself. So in the end, no matter how much vetting you do, it still is a risk, but minimize that risk. The more you minimize that risk and you get a trustworthy and kind of risk-free tenant, the better and more successful you're going to be. Let me talk a little bit about the times we're in. Um, still in COVID, uh, pre-election, and there's a moratorium at least in Florida, on evictions. What does that mean? That means you are not allowed to evict somebody from their house. They can basically not pay rent and you cannot kick them out. In theory, you can sue them eventually, but right now, you cannot kick them out to the curb. So vetting your tenant, making sure that your renter is the correct person for you is pivotal to your success when you're house hacking. So that is a perfect transition into our last segment of this episode. And with everything good in life, there is a bad or a drawback or a downside. So best case scenario is you basically prepare for those. So I have prepared my top five cons of house hacking. The number five con 
or drawback of house hacking is a lack of privacy. So it de certainly depends on what style of house hacking you're doing. For instance, in mine, where I have two totally separate houses on one property, I have a decent amount of privacy. I can't hear the other tenant. I can't, you know, I really don't see the other tenant. Um, in theory, if we're both outside in the driveway at the same time, um, we can, I guess, see each other. But other than that, I don't hear them. We don't share a wall. So in theory, in my situation, I don't really have this lack of privacy, but in many other ways that I mentioned prior in the show of different strategies of house hacking, you are going to lose some sort of privacy. You can hear tenants, they can hear you. You can see tenants, they can see you. You can smell tenants, they can smell you. There's a lot of things that you don't necessarily think of or want to have happen to you um, that can kind of embarrass you in the end or embarrass them in the end and make things really awkward between you and your tenant. Um, so understand that going in. And like I, I mentioned before, understanding these drawbacks before you get into this is very important because although I truly, truly believe that house hacking is for anybody, I believe it really, really is for anybody because there's so many different ways of doing this. You can buy a 50 acre piece of property and put two houses on it. And in theory, that's house hacking. Um, or you can, you know, do it as small as the two bedroom apartment that I mentioned before. So anybody can get into it. It's just a matter of what capacity and what your risk and, um, basically your lifestyle tolerance is. So our number four con or drawback to house hacking is liquidity issues. What does that mean? So in the end, you're only going to be able to a have a certain amount of money in your, uh, net worth or B have an amount of money that a lender is willing to basically lend you. So when you're in an illiquid asset, which means that you can't just cash out right now, um, it's going to be a little bit harder to move that money around when you need to. Let's think back to the 2008 housing crisis. People needed cash, but nobody really had it. Banks weren't lending it. If you needed that cash desperately enough, you had to sell your house, for instance, at a major discount. That's not what we would want to have to do. That is a last, last, last case scenario. So understanding these liquidity issues while going in and not using every last dollar you have to invest in illiquid assets um, is very important. So know how much you're willing to risk in theory because everything you invest in is technically at risk once you invest it, unless you have it sitting in cash and losing 3% per year in depreciation, you're at risk at losing it. So, well, there's a couple of different investment um, tools you can use that you don't lose it, uh, but that's a topic of another conversation. But when investing in real estate, in theory, you can lose it all, in theory. And it can turn upside down and the mortgage company can take it, this or that, there's a bunch of different ways that you could lose your asset, but understanding that there is liquidity risk in the end is very important. So take that into account when you're budgeting because you need to budget on any sort of purchase such as real estate, whether it's an investment in a house hack um, or a, just a plain old uh, residential property that you're not house hacking on. You need to understand that your liquidity goes down. You are not as liquid as you were prior to your purchase. The number three con or drawback to house hacking is maintenance, upkeep. 
as a landlord, you have to upkeep your property to a livable and in theory, something that calls for the rent number that you're asking. Your tenant has legal rights to have a property that does not put them at health or safety risk. If you have leaks in your roof, it is not on the tenant to fix that. It is the owner or the landlord's job and responsibility to fix that. Different states have different um, views on air conditioning, but some states include air conditioning in, in that as well. So make sure you understand that maintenance might be included. And if you want to pass that on to your tenant, make sure it is specifically written into your lease that you have with them. If it's specifically written, you might still be at risk of being responsible to do it. Although anything that's written in a lease can be fought in court. And even if it's not written into a lease, it can be fought in court. But your chances of winning in court go up significantly if you have it written down in a lease. So make sure that you understand what maintenance issues you might be facing and you might be uh, having to pay for um, on a month to month basis, namely lawn care. Lawn care is one of the biggest ones. Um, also trash and recycling. The city charges that a lot of the time just included in the taxes, but sometimes it's a separate charge. So understanding those um, monthly or semi-annually or whatever, um, whatever you have to pay for them, those charges come to be, understanding those is very important. And that brings me into the number two most important drawback or con of purchasing or house hacking is damage to a property. I actually just had to deal with this recently on the property that I purchased, not on my house, um, but on the tenant's house, there's a tree that in theory was growing onto the house. So instead of waiting for the damage to occur, because living in Florida, we know that hurricanes occur all the time. Um, I took it and was proactive with it and cut that tree. Not only can animals uh, get onto the roof by having a tree either leaning on or growing onto a house, but the tree can fall. So understanding those risks and mitigating them is a big part of saving yourself money down the line. So understand those damage risks and know that, for instance, damage can occur. What are your flood risks? Look into that before you purchase your property. Understand if you need flood insurance or not. Sometimes insurance companies don't require that you have it, but what happens if that God forbid happens and all of a sudden your house is flooded and the insurance company didn't require you to have it, but your house is flooded and you wish you had it. So understanding those costs and doing a cost benefit analysis of, let's say for instance, if I do get that flood insurance and it'll take me 20 years at this rate to break even if for instance, my house gets flooded. Is it worth it for me to take that risk and not pay for the flood insurance? If I have 20 years of sound mindedness and safety, it might be worth it to you to do that. It might not be totally your choice. All I can tell you is understand those risks, understand damage occurs, happens all the time. If you live in the Midwest or frankly, anywhere, tornadoes can occur, blizzards, um, the, I'm from a, from Florida, as we know, so I don't really have to deal with freezing pipes, but in the north, where it gets cold, pipes freeze, they burst, and we don't even know it until they melt. So then all of a sudden, 
We didn't even know anything happened. And all of a sudden we have a flooded house because our pipes burst when it froze over three months ago. So understanding these damages that can occur to the property is very, very important. And the ultimate drawback or con of a purchase, especially um, a residential, but certainly a commercial, commercial purchase is your tenant risk. We spoke about this before, um, that we really need to understand who our tenants are and to vet them. But this might be in my, or this is definitely in my opinion, the number one risk we have in purchasing is at least a house hack is the tenant risk. Are they, are we going to bring somebody into our own house if we're not renting it? Let's just say this is our own house. Are we going to bring somebody into our house that's going to take a sledgehammer to the walls while we live there? Probably not. So are we going to allow that same person to quote unquote rent from us and do that same thing? And before we know it, there's major damage to the interior of the house or exterior, frankly, as well. Are we going to allow, for instance, um, nothing against cats. I have a cat, love cats, but are we going to allow that, you know, the, the cat lady with 50 cats to move into the property and have uh, animal urine scent in there for the rest of the property's existence? These are risks that you take by not vetting your tenant. You need to understand who your tenant is, what type of assets they have. Are they able to pay the rent that you're asking? If they're making $20,000 a year, can they afford to pay $2,000 a month? I would say no. So understanding who they are, what they do for a living, what risks they bring to your asset is pivotal to your success. So that concludes the five cons that come with a purchase of a property, but specifically a, a house hack. So I really want to thank you for going on this journey with me on house hacking. Uh, it's been an exciting couple of months for me so far. Um, although it's not my first investment in real estate, it is my first house hack. So I will keep you all updated on how it goes. As of now, I have an amazing tenant in the other property. So I hope to keep them long term um, and I hope they stay. Uh, so I appreciate you all sticking with us and we will see you next time on the green.